Yo, 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 everybody. Welcome back to today's episode of Guiding Sports Pod, Volume 2, the soon to be number one sports podcast in the world. My name is Sean Guiding, and we are finally uh, doing what I think is maybe the biggest uh, change this time around with the show uh, for the first time and for the next couple weeks, couple months, maybe a year or so. Uh, at least for the summer, it's going to be every other week, but in the fall, it'll be every week. Uh, I will be doing an interview with Dr. Peter Yeh, who joins me right now on the show for the first time. Peter, uh, Dr. Yeh, uh, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you very much, Sean. It's a really great pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you for coming on. I'm looking forward to doing it. Thank you for taking the time to do this interview with me every once in a while. Uh... We got a lot to get to today. We got a lot to talk about about you. Very uh, busy guy. Very important guy. Uh, so basically, to start off, let's just jump right into it. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. No. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. Um, you know, I'm a, a sports medicine surgeon, uh, orthopedic surgeon by training, uh, and uh, practice in the Boston area, and uh, see a lot of sports injuries. Uh, all around from weekend warriors to uh, collegiate athletes and high school athletes um, and you know trained out in the west and where I did take care of some of the professional athletes out there um, and uh, what I like to focus on is you know arthroscopic type surgeries whether it's in the hip shoulders knees and even a little bit of the elbow and ankle as well so all that stuff is really fun yeah uh, so um how long would you say you've been doing this? How many years have you been doing uh, that? Yeah, I've been in practice now for probably about, um, you know, since t- uh, almost 11 years now. Um, so things have certainly changed throughout the last decade. Uh, and, and that's what's funny about medicine is that uh, we're always figuring out new ways of treating a problem that might have uh, needed a better solution uh, in the past. And so... Uh, whether it's a surgical technique, whether it's a, an approach to treat someone in the office, um, that's always changing. So you can't just always rely on one thing you learn. And in fact, anything you learn back in residency or fellowship, uh, if you're still doing that same thing, uh, you're, you're probably you may be doing something uh, uh, a little old school. So you know everything now has uh, you know everything kind of changes, and we treat patients better every year. Cool. Yeah, that's I fully agree with learning and improving upon your practices and you know getting better at what you do not just doing the same thing time after time time after time getting better finding improvement finding ways to modify your approach that's cool that's cool that's cool um so uh what else um what got you into like doing uh orthopedics Orthopedics. yeah that's a great that's that's actually a great question now because it's good hopefully a good story behind that people will find entertaining um I actually, in college, I, um, uh, in between uh, first and second year, uh, I was home and hanging out with my high school friends our first year after our first year of college, and, you know, we're all kind of getting back. It's almost like high school again, because we all just went away for the year to different colleges, and, you know, everyone's kind of like, kind of, you know, just hanging out, and we were bowling one night, and um, I actually broke my finger bowling, of all things. Yeah. And uh, went, you know, you know, you had the holes, right? And you put your fingers in the holes, and yeah. you know, I was, I think, a little bit. Um, I was trying to show off and, and use a, <laughs> a, a ball that was a little bit smaller for for my size, 
And so because of the smaller ball, the holes were smaller. So Ugh. they actually got kind of stuck. So, so when I went to go uh, bowl that ball, um, I also went a little too low. So I went too low, the ball just hit the ground and it and, and the finger got stuck in there and it basically cracked that finger oh, God. as I swung through. Ugh. And I actually felt that crack. Um, I'm sure. And and so that was my actually first experience with any type of um, orthopedics or actually any medicine because at that point, I think at 19 years old, I, I was relatively healthy, never saw a doctor other than that quick checkup. Uh, or vaccine or something like that. So I always thought medicine was very cookie cutter. You know, like you, you learn about this disease A, you do this treatment B, and you'll get a, a treatment outcome C. And so it, it didn't seem interesting to me at the time. In fact, I, I am an engineering major by background. Oh, that's cool. Electrical engineering. Talk and, about that maybe a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah, electrical. And then, um, you know, so after that um, incident, uh, I was treated uh, by an orthopedist. Um, but I ended up getting a complication where uh, I ended up getting an infection oh, in the God. nail. Yeah, so on the nail. Yeah, on the nail oh. itself, it, it, it uh, you know started uh, you know having this uh, this pus and this purulence. Yeah, I know it's true about nail infections. Or yeah, oh God, <laughs> not fun. Especially when you know that that happened in the middle of summer, and you know I had to get back to school for the fall and. The nail is still, you know, purulent and, and still infected. So I had to go through several surgeries, actually. One, wow. a couple uh, at home where I grew up. And then back at school, I had to find an orthopedist to help me uh, go through all the, the INDs or the, what they call the cleaning out of the infection and being on antibiotics and then trying to get to school and classes at the same time with roommates and stuff. And, you know, you don't have the confines of your family anymore at that point. Yeah. Um, so it was a little challenging, but what I got from that experience over the last, or over that next six months or so was I realized that medicine was not so much cookie cutter. It was very individualized. You know, the, the surgeon who treated me back at home approached things differently than the surgeon who ultimately met and took care, took care of me, um, uh, back at the, in Connecticut. And so it was just, it opened my eyes a little bit. It was like, oh, this is actually, you know, very, uh, individualized. It's not as simple as the, the, the thoughts that I had about medicine right at that point. So I used that opportunity actually to then shadow my sur- the surgeon who, once I got better, um, you know, I asked her if I could just go in and see how she sees patients, maybe you go in the operating room. And that friendship blossomed and the iron, or not irony, but the cool uh, story about all this is that after I got my undergraduate degree uh, and then applied to medical school, for residency, I went back to that same residency in Connecticut where I had my uh, surgery for my finger, and you know my surgeon who treated me ended up becoming a mentor to me too that's while cool. in training. So, so that's how sort of the roundabout way of how I got into medicine from an engineer to to medicine today. And and orthopedic why orthopedics is just because it's kind of like engineering. You know, you're you're trying to put pieces back together. Uh, you have to think things a little bit logically. Uh, not that other medical professions aren't logical, but this just was a little bit more intuitive and something that I could easily um, uh, sort of say that this is uh, an easy branch off of that engineering background. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's a cool story. Very uh, strange path into medicine. Mm-hmm. You go, you're bowling and you break your finger, and now here you are performing on surgeries. Yeah, so it just goes to show that in life, you know, when when, when something looks seems like it's a, a, a apparently bad situation. You know, it's really how you look back on it that really will define how that situation really is. 
in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. Um, cool. So, out of curiosity, uh, like, where'd you go to school? Uh, yeah, so I went to um, undergraduate at Yale. Uh, oh, true. And, um, and then for... I did get a one-year master's degree in uh, engineering as well um, with a, um, uh, at Yale as well, and then I went to medical school at Georgetown, oh. um, and that's where, uh, for four years, did the medical training there, and then for five years after that, you have to do residency for orthopedic uh, sur- uh, surgery, so that was back at Yale again, Yale New Haven Hospital, uh, and then you spend a year out in your fellowship training, so I did that in L.A., where I... Uh, did uh, focus just on sports medicine type surgeries. Yeah, so yeah, that was going to lead to my next question. Uh, like, after like college and school, like, where did you like first like I guess kind of like start doing things on like your own? Yeah, so the thing, the first time, uh, first experience was uh, in LA where you know you do that fellowship training. Uh, you are under um, you know the guidance and mentorship of other doctors who take care of patients out there. But you start to do a lot of stuff on your own there, and you start to learn your craft and hone it a little bit more. And so I did that for a year, and then it's not until 2011 that I came here into the Boston area and started private practice, and that's where you really um, start to see patients on your own and and really start to develop plans for them and and start your career that way. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's uh, interesting. Um, What, I guess, brought you to Boston from L.A.? Um, you know, it, it's just the opportunity, you know, the opportunity to uh, be in a city that, um, you know, the way I see Boston is, it's, it's a city that uh, loves its sports. Uh, it's, uh, it's a city that has a lot of homegrown um, uh, people where, you know, uh, as opposed to the D.C. area where I grew up, um, you know, there's a lot of people who come and go, but Boston really has an identity. You know, everybody who works in and around the area of Boston um, you know, are from this area, and so there's this community feeling that I was really attracted to. Um, and on top of that, Boston's a very manageable city. You know, you can really yeah. get from one end of the city to the other um, uh, very easily, and not feel overwhelmed. And I well, you got to deal with traffic. You can't you can't forget yeah. traffic in Boston. Yeah, yeah. But it is you know compared to the LA traffic and DC traffic, uh, Boston traffic is certainly a lot uh, more manageable. Yeah. So I could say, oh, you know what? It was worse elsewhere. <laughs> that's good. Well, that, that's actually pretty good to hear. Yeah. Uh, here in Boston, we have, of course, negative thoughts about traffic. <laughs> um, so, all right. So that's a cool story. Um, um, so, like, when you you perform surgeries on, like, patients and stuff, um, what, how, like, back to, like, when you first, like, started doing surgeries, like, what were those first experiences like, uh actually like actually performing on a patient yeah i mean it's a it's a it's an it's a very powerful feeling i mean it, i mean it, it's scary but also rewarding you know because that's one of the reasons why which i don't think i really truly mentioned in that other story is that as an engineer um i was really focused on research and you know anything that you might create on a lab bench or or invent you're not going to see the product of that you know, until maybe years down the road. Um, and, you know, just a quick story is that, like, you know, I was working on organic LEDs when I was doing that stuff as an engineer. But it's only been a couple of years ago, like, you know, 15 years later, that you start to see that in the market, you know, on, on TVs. You contrast that to being, you know, what I do today as an orthopedic surgeon, 
I get to diagnose a problem and now take care of a patient and they I can see the improvement in their faces when they get out of surgery when I see you know in the months uh, of recovery afterwards they feel better they are better so you see the fruits of your labor right away and I think you know whether that's on a selfish level you can kind of feel rewarded that way um, you know for my ego and just for my sense of uh, accomplishment I feel like that I did something to help somebody else and I, and I think that's the reason why I went to engineering in the first place but here this is something that comes to fruit and, and light right away so going back to your original question of um, you know how did it feel the first time you kind of went in, and got involved I think it was a very you know just a powerful feeling of like oh my gosh I'm actually you know all the schooling that I've done up to this point you know it's 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 culminating in something like this and and the journey, honestly, is just beginning at the time. You know, you're, yeah. you're always learning. You're, you're, you're learning never stops. Yeah, that's true. Um, was there any, like, one, any one, I guess, surgery that, like, you felt the most, I don't know, like, scared or uncomfortable, uneasy about going into? Like, any, like, I don't know, procedure on, like, I don't know, and in up intending like you've never worked on before or you know no I don't know I don't think that there is I, I mean every surgery you go in with a little bit of you have to think about the the things that could go wrong and how you're going to manage that so you're trained very well to do that up and you know to the point where you get your uh, license and everything else so I don't know that that there was ever a surgery where I felt you know kind of like afraid or unprepared um you know, I, I'd say that, you know, uh, these types of surgeries, especially uh, where, um, and I think this is a, a, a learning experience throughout the course once you start practice, is, is really making sure that the patients understand what the surgery is about and their expectation of recovery. And I think that's even more important in sports medicine because they come with a sports injury and their first question isn't so much do they need surgery, it's how long is it going to take before I get back on the field. <laughs> and if you don't uh, set that expectation or at least let the patients understand what, you know, you get to that point, how long is it going to take? And there's a lot of variables that can change whether when someone actually gets back um, and, and, and at what time period. So... I think that's the, the most challenging part, and not, not so much the surgery. I think the surgeries, and I think most surgeons will agree, that's the technical part, that feigning, that's probably just the easiest part, you know, because you've trained so much for that. What we don't have a lot of training on is, you know, the indications uh, to do the surgery, but also, most importantly, post-operatively, you know, how to manage yeah. patients' expectations. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you don't want to ever re-aggravate yeah. any, any type of softer, like, what's the word, like, impaired tendon you know what I'm talking about like any like um what's the word it's uh I just had it uh but any like type of tendon that's like sensitive I guess yeah it's I mean, really sensitive but, but you're right I mean you get hit on a point where certain tendons and certain ligaments um you know not all tendons and ligaments are going to be the same and so you know a patient might come in and tear this tendon but then hear that their friend or family you know, had this other tendon fixed and they were back right away, and you have to, you know, kind of educate that pro that patient on, you know, how this might be different or how this, um, you know, might be a little bit uh, more challenging in terms of the recovery. So, 
you know, there's definitely uh, variations upon it. And, and even if it's the same tendon that the friend tore or, or, or um, had, had damage, you know, that recovery isn't going to be the same in everyone because everyone's medical history is going to be a little different and that their background can sometimes dictate their outcomes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I definitely agree with that part, just first-hand experience. Um, so that, I guess that kind of leads into my next question, which is, was there one, I guess, memorable surgery that you've ever, that you've performed or one that like will always stick out to you like no matter like for it's like the rest of your life like any one surgery that, i don't know you just feel like most proud about or most accomplished with oh wow um you know yeah i mean there's i mean i think there's a handful of, of um, very um good surgeries that, I, that you feel proud of but i'll say that the ones that i feel proud are of aren't so much the ones you get out of the operating room right away and you feel proud about it and because of the way it might look. What gets me proud is and, and satisfied is really the, the, the outcome later on. You know, when I see the patients, you know, six weeks to 12 weeks, uh, three or four months later, and they're getting their function back. They're getting, you know, their range of motion and strength back and they feel as if they, uh, you know, went through the surgery and they got exactly what they wanted and that's and seeing that sort of in the, on their faces where they feel a lot more comfortable or they feel happy with it that's the part where you know this is what I do you know this is why I do what I do is you see that that um that that turn and that change in their attitude and I think that's what really keeps me going is that you know that's the that's the sort of the drive the energy that keeps me going to say I gotta learn new things to stay on top of how I can treat patients better every day um, yeah. And I think so. So I, I guess in the answer to your question, there's not like one memorable thing because every surgery. I mean, honestly, every patient with this with a shoulder problem is going to look the same to me in an operation. But it's like whatever I do in that surgery, what happens that translates after them to to feel better. Those are the ones that are most memorable to me. And I and and so when I when I get a referral from a patient and they tell me they sent they came here because another patient of mine did really well and we were happy. I think that's actually, you know, the best compliment you can get. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure that's how you feel about every yeah. surgery. Pretty much every, sur- every resulted surgery gives you, like, the same satisfaction. Nobody, I'm sure, stands out because it's just the same injury over and over. And you treat you feel as if you treat them like the same. Yeah, you don't I mean, feel like anyone's above anyone else yeah, just because I, of the surgeon well, or so, surgery. I mean, I do want to just point out that it's not its not that every surgery is the same because they, they, they really aren't. But the steps, there are certain steps to every surgery that should be the same in terms of setting something up so that there is this sort of uh, algorithm so that, um, you know, you're following that in the operating room and things don't go wrong um, if you can follow those principles. But... Every everyone's tear, let's say the rotator cuff or labrum, is going to be a little bit different based on not just the way the tear pattern is, but also their medical history, what got them there in the first place, how do they tear it. I mean, those are the little clues in the puzzle that you've got to put together so then to be able to then explain it to the patient so that they can then have an understanding of, understanding of it and then get a good outcome. Um, you know, I think every step of the way is so crucial. Uh, and I myself am still learning, you know, uh, not just Always. what surgery is, but how to speak to patients and to kind of describe certain things, which is why so uh, you know what what we're doing today in terms of talking about not just myself, but hopefully other th- other things that we might be able to touch on, 
it's it's how we you know whenever we talk about a sports injury um, you know we start to uh, need to understand what that person must be going through and how long it might take it's going to be different for everyone to, even though it might be the same injury that someone else another player might have had a year ago yeah um, so I guess I just thought of this what's what is like the difference between a sports injury and say I don't mean to be harsh but like an old woman who fell downstairs and mm-hmm. broke her hip like what, what what's like the difference between those two uh, so there's a lot uh, a lot of um, you know the sports injuries there's a couple components I think one way to separate it is the actual physical injury itself right so the in- physical injury itself if a sports injury happens you know you're likely to have you know more tendinous type of soft tissue injuries um, but you know with a, an, an older person who injures something you know they're, they're more likely to break a bone because they don't necessarily have the muscles or the soft tissues to help protect not only the bones but also not even have the tendons to tear at that point anymore and and, and not to say that and I'm generalizing here not to say that older people won't have soft tissue injuries um, but the quality of that injury is going to be different based on the age and because of the biology of, of us, right? So, um, but then the other component is the mental part of it. You know, the um, the sports injury is going to occur to someone who was doing something, you know, willfully, you know, playing a sport, doing something like that. Whereas the injury that occurs in the older person was something that's probably unintended, you know, slip and fall. Um, and so that already sets the stage of their expectations a little bit. Um, and, uh, and then also the motivation to want to get better. Uh, I tend to find that sports uh, injuries and, and, and athletes and people who get an injury in sports, they generally are healthier and they want to get better. They want to do whatever they can to get to where they were function-wise before the injury. Um, you know, it, it may not always be the case in an older person. And they may not have the motivation or the understanding of what they need to do to get to that point. And they may not be able to get to it. You know, they may not have the strength to do it in the will. So there's so many nuances to, to that difference in the question um, that it'd be hard to kind of go over every detail. But there, like, but I will admit that there is a difference, definitely. Okay. Um, all right, cool. Uh, sports injuries. Yeah. Out of curiosity, have you ever, I guess, performed a surgery on an athlete of any type? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, certainly, especially during my time uh, out in the West and uh, since and coming here, certainly been uh, a number of athletes that have been memorable um, that, uh, you know, uh, were, you know, I felt proud to be and privileged to be, uh, you know, their doctor at that point. Anyone in particular? Any, who's probably the, the most, I don't know, famous athlete that you've probably performed on or that you have performed on, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish I could say that. I, 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 you know, I'm probably uh, not at liberty to say that due to sort of, sort of um, you know, reasons of, of confidentiality, but um, I'd like to say that's someone we have heard in the news. Okay, that's cool. I, all right, that's cool. That's good enough for me, I guess. <laughs> can't get into it, can't get into yeah. it. Yeah. But, um, all right, that's cool. Um, so, all right, so I want to, um, I guess, anything else, like you, anything else that I guess people should know about you, want to know about you? Yeah. Anything that you think would be interesting that we didn't really get to? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think I've hit on uh, some of the main things, which is I love what I do. I, I, love, I love to keep learning. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the area of sports medicine is, is ever-changing. Ever Actually, over the last 15 years or so, I think that a lot has changed and, and really grown in this particular field. And I do think that we can uh, continue to uh, treat athletes' injuries uh, to get them back on the field much quicker. Uh, but it does require education and patience, and, uh, and that's something that I'm going to continue to strive to do um, and uh, always be there for, for them for questions and, and, and concerns. All right. All right. So um, a lot of um, well-known athletes obviously get hurt in their lifetime. Tom Brady tearing his ACL back in 2008. Yeah. Uh, Kobe Bryant tearing his Achilles, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago? Um, so many former athletes have torn, I guess, um, or just injured something at some point in their life, in their playing career. It's an unavoidable fact. Um, in your, like, history, medical history, um, professional athletes, especially, I guess, like, when you were on the West Coast, you I was, what, 10 years ago? Um, and Kobe Bryant did tear his Achilles 10 years ago, um... And I love Kobe. I was a huge fan of him. He got me into basketball, even though he was a Laker. I, and I, I mean, I was young. I didn't really understand the rivalry, but he got me into basketball. I guess, like, recovery times, like, the, um, I guess, going after the procedure. Like, what's that whole, like, system, I guess, set up like? Yeah, I mean, you know, you bring up uh, great uh, examples there. Uh, Tom, uh, Brady, and, and Kobe, and you know, the fact that those are probably some of the uh, hardest working athletes in the world. I mean, we see them as very gifted, but a lot of hard work goes into what they do. And when it comes to an injury, such as the ACL injury or an Achilles tendon rupture, you know, and I think I mentioned this prior, you know, it's not just the surgery that, that will dictate your outcome. It's all the hard work you put in. And I think when you are on the professional level, you will have the ability to see a physical therapist every day, really get work done, and really get that soft tissue mobilization, get things built back up uh, after the repair. And uh, I think those uh, two athletes uh, were just uh, great in terms of their recovery because they were able to not only not accept that they had this tear, but also now had to get it worked on and then uh, build it up uh, You know, with five, seven days a week of, of recovery and, and, and uh, PT and and um, you know but it but it's but the fact that it can take uh, someone's jump shot away or, or their power to jump to jump um, despite you know being the greatest basketball player of all time at the time you know it's just like just shows you that some of these tears there are you know they, they can still um, you know be quite uh, limiting to, to, to even the dominant athletes around. Um, they found ways to overcome it, you know, and still be a great player. And that's actually something that's more testament to, to people like Kobe. And, uh, you know, but I, I got to say, I, I saw a lot of hard work in him, and he was just just amazing to watch uh, when he uh, worked on and off the court. All right, that's cool. Cool. All right, so that was the first half of uh, our first uh, interview. Uh, with me and Dr. Ye. Uh, second half will be out next week 
because it was so long, which was intentional. I wanted to introduce him to the show. Um, so it was so long that I knew I was going to cut it in half. Uh, but actually, later on in the show, because uh, I'm only going to do this for a little while longer, um, later on in today's show, uh, we will go back to it because we t- talked about uh, what we are going to be talking about when we do these interviews. Um, and that's just the injuries. Injuries going on, uh, maybe not just in Boston sports, but like around the country and other, uh, you know, other athletes, other athletes who get hurt. Um, injuries, talking about them. So that's what, that's basically the gist of what we're going to be doing with this interview. Uh, just talking about injuries, uh, what happened, what is it, and uh, like how long the recovery time will be, stuff like that, questions like that. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I'm really excited to see um, where we go with this. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So you are going to go back to it later on in the show uh, before stuff on the internet. Talk briefly about Rob Williams, his knee injury that um, – Stand him out for the final couple games of the regular season. But let's talk about uh, the Celtics uh, and the finals. So since last week, last month, last Tuesday was uh, the last episode, um, games three, four, and five have happened. And the Warriors now lead the series three games to two after last night's game, uh, 104-94 out in Golden State. Warriors won. I'm going to talk really just about this game. Uh, my thoughts quickly, I guess, on game four. Uh, it was just, it was an unfortunate circumstance where Steph Curry literally hit every shot that he took. And there's nothing that you could do to prevent a night like that. Uh, I mean, I guess you could. There is one way, which is to, you know, play defense. But, uh, no, it's just that that game was just very, very unfortunate. I kind of expected a little bit of, I kind of expected a split of game three and four. I forget my prediction last week. I think I said that the Celtics would be up three games to one. Uh, I don't remember. But in any case, uh, now the Celtics are down three games to two. And uh, really just want to talk about last night's game. Last night was just awful. I mean, it was literally there. The Celtics really should have won the game last night, but there are two offsetting factors that prevented it from happening. For the Warriors, uh, it was Steph Curry's poor performance offensively. I think he missed a first. He broke like three NBA records, or uh, his like streaks ended for like threes made in consecutive playoff games. Consecutive um, playoff games was more than two threes made. Uh, and another one that was ended. Um, he had a bad light. He had a bad night last night, and you should have taken advantage of that. But uh, in turn, the Celtics uh, they just had an all-around horrible offensive game. Um, a lot of people have been larping on the fact that turnovers have been the reason why they lose. Well, I partially agree. I mean, turning the ball over 18 times is awful. And that's not even the highest of, their ser- of the series. They turned it over 19 times in uh, Game 4, I'm pretty sure. Um, so turnovers are not acceptable at, at any rate. But the, they've had double-digit turnovers in every game this series. The fewest turnovers that they've had are 12. The Warriors, as far as I can remember, are 7, 
which I've done, I think, twice. Last night and another game. Um, so I partially agree with the fact that turnovers are bad. They are bad, absolutely. But, like, it's not the reason why I lost. Last night, it's just the shots were not falling. Um, free throws. Free throws have been awful. Um, I'm pretty sure that they are, like, the worst. If this was the regular season, out of all the teams, they would have, like, the 29th out of the, the 30 teams in the NBA. They would have the best, the 29th worst um, free throw percentage. Just in the playoffs. So if every team was in the playoffs, they would have the 29th. And this is going back to the regular season. Free throws have been horrible. Last night was just another example of it. Uh, they did go 21 for 31, but the Warriors, in turn, had 13, hit 13 of their 15. I mean, I don't want to see... You, there's That's 10 extra points that you missed. Not sure. I mean, you probably... If anything, I'd expect... I would hope for it, like, 25 out of the 31. So, we, all right, we got four more. So now it's a six-point game. Hit another one of those threes, or maybe a couple twos, and we got a tie game. So there was a lot of points left out on the court last night. And that's just, that's the biggest reason why they lost last night was just a bad offense. They shot 41% total. From three, they went uh, 11 for 32 now, the Warriors did go 9 for 40, uh, but the total field goals, Celtics won 31 for 75. The Warriors hit 41 out of their 88, which for the Warriors, their shooting percentage was 46.6, and again, the Celtics was 41.3. So last night, it was just offense was god-awful, and it was it was just bad. I mean, you should have won last night. You should have won last night. That's not an excuse anymore. That was not... A good game. You should have won last night. That was your game, and you blew it. And it's, I mean, just stupid. Stupid penalties, stupid fouls. I mean, there's the one blatant uh, Marcus Smart fouling Jordan Poole late in the game where it was a very obvious flop. Uh, I mean, you can't do anything about those except don't even attempt to try to block a guy because you'll get called for a flop. That's the way basketball basketball is going nowadays. But, man, it was just make a shot, please. Last night, the offense was disappeared. It just disappeared, and it was bad. It was horrible. So, I mean, it's just, wow. I didn't really think you'd. I didn't think I'd be this worried about the Celtics, but I am now. I'm worried about the Celtics. I really am worried about them. I don't know. I don't know if I can see them pulling this out. I don't think I. I don't know if I can believe in them winning two more games. Now I did pick the Warriors to win in six or seven, one of the two. So I really didn't pick them to choose anything because I didn't choose one game. It's just. I don't see, I don't know if I can see the Celtics doing it again. I don't see I can I don't think I can see them winning two games in a row. Maybe they'll maybe they'll win game 6. Um it's going to be a tough one, I think. I think it's I don't this series is not for certain anymore. Nothing is certain right now with the Celtics. 
Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know what to believe in because it's, it's these hits. It's these hits that they go on or they have. They have one great game, then they have the bad games. And really, honestly, like, I see this probably ending uh, with the Celtics losing in Game 7. It sucks, but, um, I mean, they played. that's how they played. They should have done a lot better. And uh, speaking of players or things that should be doing a lot better, I guess it's a player. Uh, Jason Tatum, where the fuck has he been? He has not been impressive at all. All series. Now, sure, last night he had 27 points, which led all scores. Um, but sometimes I'm like, has he even scored yet? When's the last time he scored? I mean, the dude has been nowhere near MVP caliber. Like how he won the Eastern Eastern Conference MVP. I mean, literally, I could, I'd much rather have Derek White win the Finals MVP if the Celtics are to pull it out over Tatum. They'll probably be Brown. I would probably be Jalen Brown. I think he's much more deserving of the Finals MVP out of anyone in the Celtics. Um, but man, Tatum has not been impressive at all. And sure, he may be hurt. He may be hurt, but. It can't be so serious that's impacting the, his game the way it is. I mean, we, it's an it's an obvious shoulder injury. We've seen him like grasping at it. Um, we've seen him like you know, laboring it. But it can't be so bad that he has such bad shooting nights, such bad shots. I mean, he airballed the three last night. I think he airballed. I think he airballed two. If I'm correct. I mean, wow, this guy, this Tatum has been not impressive at all. And sure, maybe I don't know. I don't want to say this, but maybe it's just a uh, stage is too big for him right now. He can't handle it yet. He's not mentally there yet. I mean, he's what, 24, 23, 24. I mean, ugh. I would hope that by now he's probably a little more confident in his game. Yeah, he's 24 years old. Um, I would hope that he's just, you know, a lot more confident in the shots, a lot more confident in himself overall. I don't know if like I can trust him to hit a big shot when we need it, which a guy like him should be able to do. I mean, to be honest, I really don't think like that for any player on the team right now. Um, if anything, like, I feel confident in maybe Pritchard, maybe Brown, maybe even Horford. Because he's been playing good. He'd probably have a better chance at MVP than Tatum. But, um, for the series, I guess he is shooting or he's scoring... Uh, 26 and a half a game, um, which isn't bad. But still, I mean, he's really not been impressive at all. 
I mean, that's just my honest opinion. Like, please, just show up already. And he hasn't. Yeah. His, his point totals uh, for the series have been um, 27, 23, 26, 28, and then the 12 points in game one. Um, and that was all in back, reverse order. I don't know. I, I feel like he he should be doing a lot better than he is. I mean that the, these numbers are kind of like just average for a guy like him. I mean, I'd want to see him in the thirties now. I'd want to see him scoring like thirty five, thirty six, and he's not doing that. He's he's not he's just not been good. He really has not been good in these finals. And I mean, who knows? Like, it could just be, it really could just be his injury. I mean, with a shoulder, like, obviously, it's probably going to impact your shooting abilities. But man, I mean, he really needs to do a lot better. He really has to do better. Just drive to the net more often. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say for Tatum. Except for that, he needs to be doing better, which I said a lot already. But, I mean, it's true. He has to do better. All right. Um, so I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to do it, say it again just because. Uh, with the Dr. Ye interviews that we're going to be doing every other week for the summer uh, and then later on in the fall when we got all three sports back, um, it'll be every week. But after um, – we started talking about himself. We got into next week's topic, but then we started talking about um, uh, Rob Williams. And because it's topical and because the series is going to be over next time I do this, because um, Game 6 is Thursday, and Game 7, if necessary, is going to be Sunday. So next time I do this, we're going to be recapping the NBA Finals in the Celtics season. And uh, hopefully, hopefully talking about the parade planning, but I don't know if I see that happening. Um, but while it's topical, uh, I'm gonna. It may sound a little weird just because if I cut it out. There's a lot of cutting and pasting and editing. Um, so we talked about Robert Williams' uh, knee injury that kept him out the last half of the season. Last couple games of the season, really. Um, so, I'm going to play that clip. Uh, then I'm going to come back and do stuff on the internet. So, here's this clip right now. I know that we've been talking about some Bruins players. I do want to switch over quickly. Or not quickly. I mean, take as long as you want. Uh, to Celtics. We're in the finals. Uh, yeah. Game two is Friday night. I don't know the result because we're recording this on Friday. Or not game two, game four. Game, game four, four is tonight, yeah. and today's Friday. So yeah. even though you're hearing this on Tuesday, it's yeah. uh, I don't know where the Celtics stand. But uh, one of the most important and impactful players on the Celtics so far, I guess these playoffs, and especially the finals, has been Robert Williams, who back in early March, or late March, uh, he had surgery uh, to repair a torn meniscus in his left knee. Hmm. Uh, the recovery timeline was four to six weeks, which would have held him out for the first round and a little bit of the second round, but he played. He came back before the first round. Yeah. And was able to play in all those games. 
However, lately, it's been very apparent how injured he is, especially in the finals, just running up the, fo- running up the court. Yeah. He's labor- laboring. He's clearly limping, very clearly limping. I saw one example in game three. Yeah. He's just limping, and he can't put any pressure on his knee. Um, talk a little bit about, like, rushing back and in, rushing back from an injury and, I guess, any, like, lasting effects that it could have yeah. on the guy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think these athletes are so perseverant in terms of wanting to get back on the court and really contributing to their team, and it's really kudos to them. And I think um, you know, what you have to realize in these injuries is that that meniscus injury is what you hear about in the news, and that's the surgery that he ultimately had uh, for but there's likely, or there could be, and I don't, I don't know much about this particular case, but he likely has, you know, um, you know the, the articulate cartilage around that area of the knee. There may be some early damage that uh, can lead to arthritis. And if it's just meniscus, even if it's just meniscus, the fact that you are doing surgery on the meniscus, and there's two options for meniscus surgery, you either remove what's torn or you try to repair what's torn if it's repairable. Um, either one... Uh, it can be hard, especially if you remove the tissue. You can imagine you have less now, less shock absorber in that area, right? Yeah. So, so it might remove the offending piece that's maybe giving him that uh, irritation, like a like a hangnail that you get when a piece of skin is at the base of your nail, and every time you graze it, you have a lot of pain, right? But and you just go in and remove it as a surgeon. That might work in the short term, but if you're always pounding, running up the court and back you can overload that area of the compartment now with less meniscus and that can be a result of why he may have continued pain you know there's the forces on which the knee sort of rests change when when you remove some of that meniscus depending on what's torn and medial lateral meaning the meniscus on the inside of the knee versus the one on the outside those have different ramifications depending on which one was torn and how you do and what type of surgery he had so um you know, it's uh, likely that the issue of his knee is probably going to continue until he at least gets an ability to be able to rest it. Yeah, yeah, that's what everyone's talking about, is just yeah. not having to rest. Um, as I remember correctly, um, the procedure that he had, all he really did was shave down mm-hmm. the meniscus. Okay. Um, and it was the, I guess, like, easier procedure yeah. not like the full-on go in and actually yeah. like you got to be out for a couple months yeah. uh, so we did get like the lighter easier um procedure in order for him to come back um so in like your opinion um i guess it really comes down like to certain cases but like in your opinion would going for the full full-on procedure always be the better option compared to like the short quick and easy to put for a quick turnaround procedure, does it? it I'm yeah. sure it depends on on I think it type of injury, right? Yeah, depends on type of injury. There's a lot of factors into that. Just into that, as simple as that might sound, uh, as we're talking about it, you know, you have to factor in the patient's wishes, and so you have to. This is where we kind of talked about expectations before. You have to um, tell the patients the option. Well, first of all, the diagnosis and why these two options are viable. One of these options being a repair where you're out longer and the other being a partial meniscectomy, which is where you're just removing parts of the meniscus that are torn, the shaving down that you, that you referenced and, and what the difference in recovery will be. So I usually will go in and, and explain that to the patients where this is option A, this is the, the reason why we might do it. This is the benefit 
and this is what the recovery is going to be like. And that's you got to explain that for both. And, and depending on who you are, if you're a professional athlete, your decision might be different than someone who really cares about the long-term outcome. You know, and, and when I say that, I don't mean that the professional athlete won't care about the long-term outcome, but he or she is likely looking at you know their their professional career is a certain number of years in the short term, right? And yeah. it's five to twenty years, depending on what sport or what, what position they're playing. And they've got a way, they've got a very hard decision because it may not just be their decision, it could be the team's decision, it could be something else. And 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 all, I can only give the information to the various people who are gonna be uh, helping to decide, patients and the player himself first, to ultimately see what he or she wants out of this. And uh, some athletes might wanna just say, you know what, I want to do what's best now because uh, we're in the playoffs or I have a contract season coming up. And again, I'm just throwing out these possibilities that coming up for athletes the, have. Coming up for the playoffs was his case. Right, whereas the weekend warrior patient that walks into my office may not have those same options, but they do care that, you know what, they want to do whatever they can now so that they don't have, they can do their best to avoid, you know, a total joint replacement down the road. You know, those, those are all going to be different conversations. Yeah. All right, yeah, um, I remember in my opinion, uh, back when his injury happened, I wanted him to get the full-on injury, the full-on repair so he could react fully healthy next season. Yeah. Because uh, I did not expect him to go on such a run that they are now. I thought they would not have made the finals, but they did, so. There you go. I guess, so, I guess I'm fortunate. Him be, playing such a big role in them making the finals, Yeah. it worked but, out. But that is exactly what you, you know, your, your sort of story there of what you thought is exactly probably what he was thinking too. You know, like oh, maybe I should just shut it down, and you know, because he's had he's had injuries. I guess dating back to high school in his knees, yeah. so his knees are very, uh, uh, I guess, sensitive mm. area on his okay. body. Just right. I guess he's had a bunch of the injuries. That's one of his concerns was the injury um, factor, because he just got a massive contract last offseason, mm. and no one of his concerns was the injury factor and how often he would be out. Um, but he's shown right now that he deserves all that money with the way that he's playing, all the injuries that he's fighting through. He's shown that he is a fighter, which is yeah. probably credit to him, Coach Udoka, a bunch of a whole bunch of players, right. a whole bunch of people deserve credit yeah. for this. So especially the doctors who performed on him back in March, April. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's exciting to be on the sidelines with the players, um, you know. The, treating them with these injuries because there's just so many other nuances to uh, an injury that you've got to consider and, and just I think always being um, upfront with the athlete to see what they, they want and whatever decision they choose you know I think you have to be supportive and you just have to make sure they understand what this means for them in the yeah. short term as well as the long term yeah that's true that's true alright that was a little bit of the Dr. A interview that um You'll hear the rest of next week um, where we talked about some of the Bruins players who have had major surgeries. A bunch of them, for some reason, have all had major surgeries that are going to keep them out for a couple months. But uh, before we get to stuff on the internet, I did just want to bring up these um, stats that I completely forgot about. Um, For Jason Tatum, like I've been talking about, how unimpressive he's been, he now has an NBA record in the playoffs and a single playoff season since 1978, and that's the most turnovers in a single playoff season. Jason Tatum has 95 turnovers. Number two on the list is LeBron James, who had 94. I don't know what year. And for the Celtics, I mean, the series is not over. 
So that number is going to go up. But uh, that's a number that you don't want your superstar player to be setting the record for. So that's that. Uh, Another stat is that the Celtics, uh, once they started leading uh, late in the third, they were up, what, 70-something, 71 to like 67, I think. Um, Over the next 10 minutes, they were outscored 26 to 8. So that's just a testament to how bad the offense was last night. And, I mean, ugh. You're playing the NBA Finals. You cannot go on scoring streaks like that. Not at all. Nope. None whatsoever. So, anyways, uh, that's the Celtics. Next time we do an episode, we're going to be talking about the uh, NBA Finals. We're going to recap them. So, uh, let's get to stuff on the internet. Talk about... um, I don't know, good news, funny news, better news than the Celtics' struggles in the NBA Finals. All right, so we are going over to, uh, ugh, I almost said something that probably would not have been good uh, because of the country. It's about uh, Russia. I was going to say the great country of Russia, but it's not a great country. It's actually a very fucking awful country. Um, so the news from Russia is that they have opened all the former McDonald's restaurants that were closed by the company um, and completely rebranded them. So it's now called Tasty Period. Uh, The menu, I guess, is going to be the same except without the Mc prefix. Um, So what, like the McDouble, it's just like a double cheeseburger. McChicken is probably just a chicken sandwich. Uh, They're apparently not using the McFlurry in the Big Mac because of the direct associations with the brand. But um, Russia is, I guess, maybe doing something good for their people. But, uh, I mean, they, they have people who have no choice. They're probably forced to work at these restaurants. I guess, according to the article, um, 62,000 of the former McDonald's employees uh, were rehired. So there's that. But there's also um, another quote saying that they got the Big Mac and I got the Big Mick. We both got two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, but pickles, and onions, but their buns have sesame seeds, which I'm pretty sure was the Big Mac. I don't know. It's been a long time since I last had a Big Mac. It's been a long time since I had McDonald's last. Uh, i got to wait a couple of years before I have it again. Um, I forget if they have sesame seeds on the buns or not. But, I mean, in any case... Um. Yeah, McDonald's is somewhat back um, in Russia because I mean we all know what we all know what's happening over there. It's so unfortunate, but when this like first happened, first started what March, uh, all a bunch of major companies like started pulling out of Russia: Starbucks, McDonald's, um, a couple others that I can't remember. But, um, I mean, watch, Starbucks, they're probably going to open up all the Starbucks again just because, just because they did, they did it with McDonald's, they're going to do it with Starbucks. I mean, they, that's what they're going to do. So, in any case, um, that's going to do it for me today. Um, I know, it's a little weird episode. Uh, there was a lot going on. 
these interviews are going to be a lot more clear. They're, gonna be, they're not going to be as long, though. They're not going to be an hour long. Uh, they're going to be like 10, 15 minutes max. Um, maybe even less, uh, depending on how much we got to talk about. But uh, in any case, uh, that is going to do it for me today. Thank you guys for listening. A uh, whole new show, whole new podcast, and I'm taking that to heart. I'm changing a lot of things around. Uh, and it all starts right now, I guess. So, yeah, uh, that's going to do it for me today. Thank you guys for listening. Tell your friends, tell your mothers, tell your mother's friends and your friends' mothers. And I'll see you guys next time.